0: In the 1970s, there was a commercial, Carvel, Wednesdays is Sunday at Carvel. Let me tell you something, people. Wednesday is one word today for you folks, and he is live in person. I want you all to put it in the comments section. You know it. Butters will be joining us. By the way, this is Market Call. It is Wednesday, April 12th. I'm Guy Adami. Dan Nathan, in just a few minutes, uh, the aforementioned John Butters of Facts that will be joining us. We're also joined by the great Carter Braxton worth of worth charting today's episode brought to you by facts financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. I'm not going to mess around and talk Nick base, Nick basketball, you know? Yankee baseball, the Padres shellacking the Mets. I know I'm going to get right to it, Dan, because we have say it people butters in the wings.
1: We do have putters and CBW. We got uh, got a packed, packed show here. You know, today, listen, this was one, we started the week, right? And all we could talk about were inflation readings, right? Mm -hmm. And what the Fed might do based on what comes in here, right? So we have this kind of March CPI report. Um, I don't think that expectations were too far one way or the other guy. Um, It's interesting, though, as we're talking here at 1 p.m., we had basically an inline reading. We have an S&P that's up 20 basis points. We have the NASDAQ that's up 10. They're both well off their early highs. I think there's a lot of investors who are really hoping for softer readings on inflation right which may give the fed some time or some room or to, to, to basically pause their rates basically take that cme fed watch tracker and drop the expectations for that may meeting right for a 25 basis point cut or raise but you know at this point does it really matter that much, Guy, right? We're, gonna, we're we're at that kind of 5% Fed funds range here. Mm. We know that inflation would have to just take off again for them to really start increasing the the pace in which they're going to raise. Everyone's expecting another 25, um, you know, print, and then we're done. And then now Fed fund futures are starting to price in cuts. And And again, do the cuts happen because we're in a recession? Like, it's not a great scenario any way you look at it. It's great that we have inline readings. I'm happy we don't have outlier readings right now
0: cake is in the oven. So to your point, whether they do 25, don't do anything. I mean, we we are still going to feel the effects of 500 basis points of hikes in less than a year. I mean, that is without question. We've starting to see it already in some of the ISM data for sure. And again, we got, and and we said this at the time, I think it was last June when we, or July, when we got that 9.1% CPI print, I think we collectively said at the time, this will be the peak uh, number we see for the foreseeable future. That was correct. But we also said getting down, you know, cutting it in half is probably the easy part. And by the way, we haven't done that yet, but we're getting closer. It's getting back to the 2% level that they're longing for that's going to take time. So if you start doing the math and how long it took to basically go from 9.1 to five, effectively 10 months, does it take another 10 months to get to the aforementioned two? I think it actually is longer than that. So yes. It's slowing, which is a good thing, but we're nowhere near where we should be. And to your point, whether they do 25 basis points, do nothing, yeah, the market might react in the short term but we're going to still feel the impact of those rate hikes. And I think there's no denying that's going to take place, Dan Nathan. Yeah,
1: and that's the thing that's going to weigh on cor- corporate earnings, right? So when we talk about like everyone's trying to game out whether we're going to have an economic recession, well, we're, e- we're easily in a profit recession. David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research tweeted this. This, was, call him at, Rosie. At Rosie. this was a couple hours before um, that CPI print, 16 months past the peak and the S&P 500 is still crazy expensive. Disconnect between the E and the P is so acute that the forward multiple has expanded back to nearly 19 times, topping the average cyclical peaks of 18 and a half. Um, this is going back to 1960. Now, obviously, we quote John Butter's work all the time from uh, Earnings Insight blog, um, and, you know, and we've been tracking where the S&P has been trading relative to forward and relative to, um, you know, trailing averages. And it's still, I mean, like like to Rosie's point, but, but people don't really care right, at the moment about valuation, Guy, because- right. Like most of the names doing the heavy lifting in the S&P and the NASDAQ are all trading well above their 10-year averages. And we're talking about the mega cap tech names. So like the, the, the conversation about, um, you know, uh, valuation is getting a little boring to me. You know, I what agree I mean? with it, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And we say it all the time. Valuation is a metric, but it shouldn't yeah. be the only metric that you use when deciding whether to buy or sell a stock, but you have to take it into consideration. The reason why we bring it up, because I, I mean, speaking for both of us now, I think we both believe that in this environment, you know, an 18 and a half, 19 multiple is expensive. And quite frankly, that's assuming earnings come in in the line in terms of where the market is forecasting. I still don't think that happens. And you're starting to see that around the edges. We're obviously going to know more over the next couple of weeks. So we'll see, but it is, it is, listen, it's historically... I think, in this environment, an expensive market. And we have seen unprecedented rate hikes to this point. I think people are just saying, saying to themselves, it's going to be fine because the Fed's going to have us on the back half of the year. Again, if they do, it's because something bad happened. And if they don't, um, it's because you know the, 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 all the things they put in place are running their course. And I'll say this quickly. In the world of passive investing, which has taken hold of this market in a meaningful way over the last five to six years, money just flows into market regardless. The money that comes into the market could give a, pardon my French, a shit as to what's going on with CPI. Did it come in heavy, light, all those different things. Money flows into the market, almost self-fulfilling, the market goes higher until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it's because something happened and it catches people's attention. And when passive become active, Dan, and I've said this, it ain't gonna look that all that pretty, my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. I just want to hit um, a text I had from a friend of mine who's been in the markets for 30 years and he works at, um, he's an advisor um, at uh, one of the biggest, you know, shops on the street in the world. And, you know, he and I go back and forth forth a little bit. He watches CNBC, listens to our stuff. And he, he texted me this morning. He said, if there's no recession in 2023, many investors who took the advice of the bears will have lost two thirds years of equity returns. And I thought that's really interesting. I mean, my response to him is, well, it depends when they started heeding the advice. And to me, you know, like, like when you think about it, you know, the environment that we are in is, is about as messed up as I can remember from yeah. an economic standpoint. And you think of some of the things that have fueled like some of the excitement in equity markets right now in the face of what we're so like I take that this guy's a, f- a smart guy he manages a lot of money um you know he's probably you know a, a, you know he doesn't get too defensive when things are getting worried and he kind of you know yeah. defends on the yeah. way I, well but, like, I'm going to bite
0: my saying. tongue here because no. I probably should
1: no, no no but go ahead I mean he's a big boy and, and no, no 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 you know it.
0: that's it's all I'm, maybe it's you know it's all it's all good I mean they would have lost two-thirds. Of, what does that mean? Have we ever told people to go to all cash, no, to get out of the market, and have we really ever uttered this. that phrase? Not, I mean, no, no, all- hold on. He,
1: he's, he's, he's also talking about you know the strategists at his big bank, or he's talking about all. It seems like most of the strategists are really bearish. I mean, he's not, you know what I mean? Like he and I are having a, a conversation. We've been talking about this for a while, and that's not something that I can remember seeing with a NASDAQ up or the S and P up seven and a half percent where most of the strategists have, you know, their targets in and around where the S and P is trading, you know, three and a half months through the year. I mean, so, you know, that's something to pay attention to. The sentiment is unusually bearish for a market that is really trying to tell you that we're out of the woods, that the bear market at 2022 is over. I mean, like that's, you agree with that or no?
0: I agree that there are a lot of people out there that have voiced concern about the market. And if you want to use the term bearish, I am absolutely. I'm with, But you know, we had a comment in the comment section yesterday from somebody pointing out that for a decade when everybody pretty much across the board was bullish, nobody talked about that being a counter indicator. It's only when people are pointing out the negatives that everybody's antenna comes up and respectfully to the, um, the industry I think there are 350,000 advisors-ish in the country, and and I'm going to cast a wide net here and throw the hate bombs my way. I would submit 60% of them couldn't tell you where the S&P was within 100 handles So because they don't care, because they don't need to care, because it's an asset aggregation job, and because as long as they're doing what the market's doing, everything's fine. And if that pisses off your buddy or anybody else, I'm sorry. It yeah, just fine. happens to be the fact. You
1: no, know, listen. And what we, you, what you and I are doing here with our podcast, with Market Call, with on the tape, with you know what we do on on, on Fast Money. I mean, we're just staring at our fact set machines all day. We're talking to people. We're reading stuff. We're trading. We're investing. We're doing all this sort of stuff. I mean, we're we're kind of like like I think a little bit of Sherpas. I mean, you can find perma bullish Sherpas if you want. I don't think they're going to have this sort of um, experience and I don't know a whole house. Other of course, things. by the way, the,
0: the most famous Sherper of all time being Tenzig Norgay for you playing our home game. Nobody had that on their bingo nope. card. Sorry, back to but you. You're,
1: you're, you're one to use that. All right, let's do this. This is going to be – I'm totally switching this up, guy. You don't even know this is in Switch the, it uh, up. I can in, adapt. Into the rundown. We're going to bring in Carter Braxton Worth. That would be CD, CBW of the Worth charting here. Carter, how are you, bud? Good, good. Hi, guys. How are you? Dubs. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Sorry that you had to listen to that. Um, no,
2: no, not at all. I mean, look, you guys are talking about someone who's saying, what was that again if you missed the last thing? If, it is the that, if,
1: there's no, if there is no recession in 2023, many investors who took the advice of the bears will have lost two-thirds years of equity returns.
2: Yeah, I mean, it all depends, as you say, where you start the meter for the story, right? Where do you – where do you? Well, that, that was at my – end of the day, I mean, let's just look. Right now, the Russell – 3,000, which represents 98% of the investable capital in the United States, on a trailing two-year basis is down about 4%. The max gain you've had over the past two years is plus 15. The max loss is negative 18, and you're down four. Now, if in two years, that's the story, right? Yeah, you can cite the high, cite the low. Equities are not paying off, and that's, remember, not adjusting for risk. You have your capital exposed to things that go to zero. I mean, to have two years of basically unch, actually negative, uh, you can't be cash. I mean, you know, this is not something to beat a drum about.
1: Yeah no doubt well no i think it's a good conversation so thanks thanks for um chris thanks for that comment and, and you guys all right this is i'm um, this is where i'm pulling an audible i want to pull up this crude chart we're talking about inflation okay and and guy you've been calling for a move higher in crude and we were just on our fast money call guy which you um i skipped for some reason i don't mm, know I notice i'm
0: clean shaven
1: and we're talking <laughs> we're talking about the cpi we're talking about fed funds at five percent we're talking about where inflation is likely going but look at this chart carter i mean like As you say, the lines kind of draw themselves. Um, You see that we're right at that level from the high in December, right? You see that? And then you see the 200-day. I know that you don't love the 200-day. You're a 150-day gal. Um, But look at that. It's kind of at a level. What are your thoughts here on crude oil?
2: Higher. Meaning, you know, we we have a substantial downtrend for the better part of uh, a year, and we're uh, no longer in that downtrend. We are moving – uh, up and out if you will we have a news related pop and a gap that kicks things off a funny man, it's Opec and we've followed through since um, dollars week uh, I think you play for higher
1: crude guy what do you got here buddy because well, I know that you I know yeah. you're thinking if it gets through 80 we might see 90 is that correct well here we are I mean this isn't this is an extraordinary
0: looking this is a longer term chart obviously right. goes back to the summer of 18 we're right there so people will point out correctly that the moving average has been pointing lower. So we should stall here. And I mean, if I'm being 100% honest, given that OPEC news, I would have thought crude would be significantly higher than we are now, but here we are. And if you look at the underlying equities, they continue to make a move. And don't discount for a second. You know, Exxon's, I I don't think they've verified it or not, but that news out about Exxon and Pioneer, that would be probably a $65 billion deal if it were to happen, probably would not given Pioneer is one of the bigger shale fracking plays out there. My sense is the government would frown upon that. But that's not the point. The point is these companies are positioned to talk about, think about, do deals like that. They're in a very strong position. So yes, I think higher in crude and yes, I think continued higher in the equities.
1: All right. So this was kind of shocking to me. And Guy, it wasn't shocking to you because you've been um, highlighting this, I think, for over a year now. When that CPI print came out um, this morning at 830, you saw what the 10-year did. You saw what the two-year yield did. I mean, they dropped like an absolute lug. Equity futures ripped, right? We saw them up basically 1%. And then as rates started coming back up, right? Filling in a lot of that gap, we have we saw equities come off here. NASDAQ in particular, Carter, um, showing some outperformance here. The NASDAQ and a lot of those names we just talked about valuations, um, they like the idea of lower rates. Talk to us how you're thinking about the NASDAQ. And I know you want to look at a couple names here too.
2: Right. So obviously the NASDAQ 100 um, outperforming the NASDAQ itself. Uh, we think you fade this here. It's um, – the Nasdaq 100, of course, is very uh, skewed towards a few big names. This is the actual entire Nasdaq composite. And there are no lines here, but let's put some in. I think those trend lines are fairly important. Let's put some arrows in. Uh, I think, you, you know, you've had a big move. We know this. And you uh, trim longs if you've been long. With new money, I'd rather be short than long. One thing to point out, if you look at the relative performance, and we'll see that on the next iteration, so this, again, is the NASDAQ composite, the entire, not just the 100, and we've got relative performance, the S&P on the bottom. And what we know is, obviously, it it, it sort of holds and puts in a a bottom on an absolute basis, but it makes that shocking new relative low um, in December, from which, of course, the index has rallied absolute and relative, but note how over the past 5, 7, 10, 15 sessions, the NASDAQ composite itself is flat, but it is exhibiting poor relative strength to the S&P 500.
0: I mean, just I want to say something. I know we got to get the butters and nowhere on the clock. A lot of people are saying you can't think there's a recession coming and still think crude is going higher. First of all, I've said it a hundred times. I'm not an economist. And what, I've, I don't think I've ever uttered the phrase recession in terms of what I think is we're in, coming, whatever, because it's not my thing. Personally, I don't think it necessarily matters what the definition is. But I'll say this. The supply demand imbalances that exist in the crude oil market suggest that crude could go higher regardless of what's going on in the underlying, uh, economies. And that's just been my thesis. And by the way, it's proven to be true. Anyway, back to you, Dan.
1: Yeah, no. And so I think it's interesting to think about the relative performance to the entire composite versus the NDX. We know that six names make up nearly half the weight of that, but Carter, There's one stock in particular that I got an email across my uh, inbox there from Worth Charting this morning that's become an increasingly larger name over the course of this year. It's up 85 percent on the year, that would be NVIDIA. We've talked about it ad nauseum from a fundamental standpoint. Love to get your take because you've really kind of been sitting on your hands on this one, right? Like when you see a parabolic move like that, I'm sure lots of traders like me want to get in there and short it, why now are you coming out and saying that you think this is the time to kind of get in there and take a shot on the short side?
2: Sure, for starters, I mean, a heck of a move. We know it's, you see that beautiful head and shoulders bottom uh, the June low, the October low, the December low. And you also see this move where it's carried. It carries right to, but not above, the year-ago highs of March. So you're you're faltering a bit at a prior, well-defined level. But what we know is on December 30th, it was $146.14, and the high just days ago was 280. dollars 80 You know, you're talking about almost a double. And ironically, get this, so the stock to start the year was 146. dollars and it's basically gets up to 280. The price target on Wall Street in the beginning of the year was 203. Now analysts move their price targets after the stock moves. It's a crazy thing. So the price target of 50 analysts was 203. Guess what it is now? It's 280. So they thought it was gonna be worth 203 in the beginning of this year at the end of the year. Now they think it will be 280 at the end of the year, but the stock's 280 now. Now what do we do? The truth is it's a double, let's trim some. So the lines, you can draw them this way. You can draw them any way you want. But I think uh, you get a break in trend. You play for two, two thirty, trade it.
0: It's not unreasonable. I mean, if you look again, I, I you go back and just look at the Nvidia quarter, folks. I know we're getting a lot of comments about this same, same thing every day. First of all, it's not. But the Nvidia quarter was fine. It was okay. It was meandering at best. What got people excited is the CEO talking about they are the company for next gen AI. Which you know what they may be. Problem, of course, is that's not in the foreseeable future in terms of what it's going to mean for earnings. We're still a little bit away from that. So I think people got all hyped up. Microsoft had a similar move. By the way, you hear some of the analyst calls about Microsoft. Today there was actually a bullish call, but people are calling for a slowdown. So this entire move in NVIDIA, not unlike Microsoft, all it is is just multiple expansions. So if you're happy with that, if you think this can continue in perpetuity, as Dan would say, have at it. But at a certain point, We've seen significant moves to the downside in this name. And this line suggests we might be, on the, might be on sort of the precipice of another,
2: Dan. Right. And it's also knowing who you are in the market. I mean, t- and, and the, someone who wants to hold for the five year AI trade, uh, wonderful. You could go to 1,000. But here's the thing on a sequencing basis, we know we have a stock that was 105 in the October low. It's trading as high as 280. And the greatest moves of all are punctuated by dips pullbacks, drawdowns, sell-offs, declines, forget the nomenclature, some sort of counter-trend move. Countertrend moves are normal, they're not bad. In fact, it's in the etymology, they say it's a correction. Well, that word implies what? That something was incorrect before the correction? Of course, it was too steep, it was uncorrected, it was crowded, that's what this is. It's not about valuation, it's not about AI, at least from this analyst's point of view, it's about tactically, can we make a bet that it's come a long way. It's due for one of those words I just used, saying them again dip, decline, sell off, correction, pullback. It's due for one of those.
0: All right,
1: fair enough. And I, Deep- by the way,
0: Dan, I think nomenclature played safety for the Rams in the 70s.
1: Back to you. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you guys can Google that one. Um, Carter, we appreciate your exactly. time, your views on oil, your views on NVIDIA. Um, we'll see you again, I think, on Monday on Market Call. Thanks so much, bud. Bye, guys. All right, guys. Hey, Guy, th- there's listen. There- there's a couple moments in our week on market call yeah. where you just kind of get fired up, but there's probably like one or two of those times a quarter where you're really fired up because we're not just talking about this gentleman's fine work. You actually get to scare, share the screen with him, And you have shared the screen with many of uh yeah. market, like, 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 you know, royalty, that sort of thing. But this one's different for you. huh? Uh,
0: and and it, it's true. I mean, you could see that shit eating grin on my face. It's yeah. like when I was a kid, Batman and Robin would come on and like once yeah. every like nine shows, Yvonne DiCarlo would show up as Batgirl, and you got all geeked up. I mean, you knew she was there somewhere, but then she shows up. So I want people in the comment section on three, one, two, three. Without further ado, a French word, by the way, Dan, John Butters.
1: Butters is here. All right, let's do it. John Butters, the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. John, how are you, man?
3: Doing good, doing good. Just uh, waiting for the hockey playoffs to start. Hoping for a Bruins Rangers conference finals. We'll see. Wow could be in the cards guy what well, i mean listen. can i tell you something john <laughs> if tough, that yeah. were
0: to take place i i would imagine if it lines up that way that would be unbelievable it would hearken back to the early 1970s when those teams seemingly faced off against each other each and every year obviously dominated by the aforementioned boston bruins uh they had some great teams johnny Busick, dan of course you know phil esposito was on those teams but the great bobby Orr. I mean, I can go on and on. Cashman was on that team. Ken Hodge was on those teams. Fantastic. Of course, the Rangers uh, did not emerge victorious in the early 70s. The Bruins did. Hopefully it's different here in 2023, Dan, although I will tell you, the Bruins had a historic year on the ice. Back to you.
1: Yeah, they did. I mean, listen, Butters, he's, he's got two dogs in the hunts. He's got the Celtics up there uh, in the NBA, and he's got the Bruins there. So uh, good on you. All right, John, you hear us. We quote your Earnings Insight blog every Thursday on Market Call. Um, this is a really important one, why we wanted to have you on live here. We get earnings season really kicked off. Um, tomorrow morning or, th- or Friday morning, I guess, with um, a handful of the big banks. And then we kind of get into it over the next couple of weeks. And you've been tracking the negative EPS guidance that we've seen for Q1 2023. We've also been tracking it kind of where, you know, consensus estimates were for. Uh, S and P earnings for the quarter—they've come down pretty substantially um, over the last three or so months. Talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing here and what we should expect as we get into the meat of earnings season.
3: Yeah, well, this is definitely one of the more negative quotas we've seen in terms of guidance and estimate revisions. So overall, 78 companies, the S and P 500, gave negative guidance. That was well above the five-year average of 57, well above the 10-year average of 65. Um, in fact. Uh, if it stays at 78, this would be the fourth highest number since we've been tracking the guidance going back to 2006. And same with the estimate revisions. Earnings came down about 6% during the quarter. Um, again, that was above the five-year and 10-year average. It was typically about 3%. So as a result, coming at the start of the quarter, we're looking for a very small decline, about three-tenths of a percent. Now we're looking for a decline of almost 7%, down negative 6.8%. Uh, and if we do see that, that would be the largest decline going back to the pandemic, going back to Q220. And it would be the second straight quarter we've seen earnings decline. So a lot of negative sentiment coming into this earnings season for both the companies and from the analysts.
0: Yeah, and I used to start to talk about the Bruins, and I don't want to be that hyperbolic here, but this is significant. And John, and this is something that Dan and I have been talking about on the back of your work and obviously some of the work that we do, that earnings revisions are coming. Earning estimates are too high. People are too optimistic. And also the multiple of the people paying for stocks in this environment is too rich. So you just look at that five-year average, 57. Here we are at 78. Ten-year average at 65. I mean, even if you broaden it out, and that encompasses a lot of things, we're still seemingly at the, we're not seemingly, we're at the upper end of things. So, you know, I don't know where we've peaked out at. You could probably speak to that. But my sense is, you know, 78 is a pretty historic number.
3: Yeah. Like we said, fourth highest. And again, you'd have to go back quite a few years. We've peaked around 80. If you go back to say well, 2018, 2019. I mean, 78. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're not that far away from the peak. Exactly. So, um, and it's interesting; It's not even, the numbers haven't just come down for this quarter. They've come down for the next few quarters as well. Although it is interesting to note, and we we'll probably get in the slide later on, although numbers have come down for both, you know, for throughout 2023, still looking for growth in the second half of the year. So it'll be really interesting to watch this earning season, The guidance, the commentary, because you're still looking for that second half recovery. It's lower than where we were a few months ago. You're now just looking at, say, about 2% growth in the third quarter, about 9% growth in the fourth quarter. But they're pretty optimistic out to 2014, too. So, again, we'll have to keep an eye out to see what the company commentary is and how much those numbers come down as we go through this earnings season. John, John, you've been doing this a long time. And and I feel
1: like, you know, this time of year where if companies did not have particularly good visibility and they had just reported a difficult quarter, that they'd usually like just take a crack at the full year guidance, right? Like they just take it down a little bit and make it so they can start to beat going forward, right? And I know that you track a lot of the data because once you start getting consecutive beats, that is really tied to better stock performance, right? So sometimes it's kind of just like you know kitchen sinking the year or something like that thoughts here because we track your data and i just find it pretty fascinating that you know at the start or at the end of december you know expectations for were for down less than one percent right year over year for q1 and now they've come down 6.8 percent, right like that that's really big so why are we not seeing bigger wax to more than just the out quarter guidance
3: uh, well, so interesting in that we talk about the numbers coming down, and then the companies beating. One of the interesting trends we've really seen the last two quarters, and we're going to highlight this in, in Friday's report is that, you know, sort of the typical way the cycle works is, you know, the numbers come down, companies beat, we see that growth rate usually come up, you know, three to five percentage points through the earning season. That's historically the case. But the last two earning seasons, the final growth rate of the quarter is actually finished below the expectations at the start of the quarter. We've seen some pretty significant misses from companies and a lot, a number of the large companies, these last two earning seasons. And this is really unprecedented. If you go back over the last 40 quarters, we've only had three quarters where the final growth rate finished below the expectations at the start of the quarter. And we've had two of them in Q4, 2022 and Q3, 2022. So, you know, there's, you know, there's again a chance that that could happen again this earning season. Obviously, we'll have to wait to see how it plays out. But yeah. there's not a guarantee that we're going to see a, a smaller loss or any chance, or, you know, than this earning season, because that really hasn't been the trend the last few quarters.
1: Yeah, let, let's break it down a little bit by the sectors here. So um, you're saying at the sector level, five sectors are expected to see growth in earnings led by the consumer discretionary industrials. I think that's kind of interesting, those two groups. And then I want you to talk about the ones that are expected to see declines. But to me, consumer discretionary and industrials are, are sometimes at opposite sides of the economic spectrum. Um, and so the, the fact that they're both expecting gains is kind of interesting. Talk to me what you're seeing under the hood here.
3: Yeah, so it really ties those two sectors together this quarter is travel and <clears throat> leisure. So in the consumer discretionary sector, the hotels, restaurant, and leisure industry is expected to be one of the drivers of growth there. Along with Amazon, Amazon had a huge loss last quarter or a year ago quarter, excuse me. So they're benefiting from some easy comparisons. And on the industrial side, airlines are expected to be the driver of growth. Again, take airlines out and that sector would be reporting a small decline rather than growth of 13%. And then on the flip side, you know, a number of sectors expecting declines. Uh, Materials are down, weakness across the board, led by metals and mining. Healthcare, again, weakness across the board, led by biotech and pharmaceuticals. And information technology, uh, weakness there from semiconductors. Although I will say one thing real quick on energy. I know you guys were talking about oil prices earlier in the quarter. Energy is expected to be the third best performer this quarter at 9%. But going forward, it's actually expected to be a detractor earnings growth rather than a contributor earnings growth. This is really the last quarter of contribution. So if those prices go up, like you guys were talking about before, You know, we could see energy being a positive contributor to growth through the rest of the year and help boost some of that second half recovery. Although, again, obviously higher oil prices will have a negative impact on some other sectors, but that's certainly something we want to keep an eye on this earnings season, you know, where those oil prices go and do we start to see those estimates for the energy sector start to go higher?
1: You know, that's a fascinating point that you just make there because one area, you just said this about industrials, take the airlines out and you have negative growth. Well, today, investors are taking airlines out to the woodshed American Airlines pre announced stocks down eight and a half percent and then think about what you also just said butters is also pretty yep. pressing here guy when you think about how energy or higher input cost could be a drag on other energy well that would be a drag on the airlines mm-hmm. here so guy talk to me a little bit about that push and pull here because again you know it really feels like to me that like we're already seeing some I think really important signs that the economy is weakening fairly dramatically even as the CPI and some of these inflation readings are coming down
0: you know it's great that we have this because this goes back to the something that i addressed earlier about people saying if you think there's a recession coming you can't then think crude oil is going higher and again forgetting about the semantics of the entire thing if you look at this on the one end of the spectrum that materials is telling you that things are really bad but energy on the flip side i mean we're talking about companies now and stocks Their performance in large part is predicated on the fact that just better run companies. So you can have a thesis, again, my opinion, Dan, that energy can go higher, energy stocks can go higher. And this suggests that to a certain point and still think the economy is shitty, pardon my French. And that's manifesting itself with the last thing on this list, which is materials. It's really interesting to look at. And you can actually draw those lines, Dan.
1: Yeah, well, listen, you know, for some of you guys who have those comments about how can one be true and and and, and the other at the same time. I mean, listen, I want to hear stuff like that. I mean, like Guy has spelled that out over the last kind of couple months. And it's actually made sense and it's happening. We're seeing it in, in the numbers here. All right, John, you alluded to. Um, expectations for the full year right now, I think we, you know, four months ago, I think expectations were still for S&P earnings in 2023 to be up mid to the high single digits now expected to be up one by year work. And then really soon as we get into the middle part of the year towards the end of Q2, early Q3, a lot of investors are going to start thinking about what are expectations for S&P earnings growth in 2024. Talk to us a little bit about what your work is telling us on 23 and 24.
3: Yes, yeah, so as you mentioned for 2023, looking for just about one percent growth at this point, point. and again, that's all back half, second half of the year expected. As we can see in this chart, about two percent growth in Q3, nine percent growth in Q4, and we'll have to watch where those revisions come down. And then, interesting, 2024 again, a lot. You know, analysts typically are more optimistic the further out we go. That's again the case. Looking for about thirteen percent growth in 2024, uh, 2014, excuse me. And on a per share basis, we're at about two hundred twenty-one dollars for 2023. But $248 is currently the estimate for 2024. So again, and a significant improvement expected. We'll see how it plays out and how those numbers move this earnings season.
0: It's interesting. You know, I look at this and it makes sense. A lot of people expecting a back half recovery and this is anecdotal. Okay, so leave the hate comments at, at, at your door. But Taiwan Semi in the fall, if you go back and listen to what they said, and I'm using them as a specific example, They said the first half of 23 is going to be miserable. I'm paraphrasing, but they said they're going to make it up in the back half of 23. And as it turns out, they were trying to buy themselves some time, but just look at what Taiwan semi said earlier this week. And we had called them on it back in the fall. We said, I don't know in any way, shape or form how they can have clarity that far out. And it proved to be somewhat correct. So this makes sense in terms of what people are looking for and hoping for. The question is, Does it come to fruition? Does it manifest itself, Dan? And obviously, you know, that's the bets that people are making with an S&P here at 41 and a quarter.
1: I don't know about you, Guy, but I have a little scar tissue from past kind of like bear market recessionary periods when analysts start saying, you know, second half loaded, back half loaded. You remember Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff? Because oftentimes it never comes to like kind of where they think they are, partially because you see a bigger dip in the near term and then the, um, you know, like kind of the, I don't know. Coming out of it is a bit harder here. So um, okay. Well, we did it. We had John Butters. Uh, guy, you just call him Butters. Let's call him uh, Butters. I, I kind of People hashtag. in his
0: neighborhood just call him Butters. Like his well, postman walks up. The mail to his house doesn't uh, say John. It just says but it doesn't say Mr. Just says hashtag Butters. I mean, it's incredible over the course. How long have you been doing this with JB?
3: About two years or so, maybe longer. I, I, I mean, think he so, is not how long he's, have you
1: been? How,
3: how long have you been at yep. Fax? Uh, in fact about 11 years and with you guys, probably two years now, yeah. right? Give it takes. So, oh, yeah. I, I can't share.
0: I, I mean, Kenalia Pele. I can go on if you want, all but right, I mean, look. it's butters is right up there. I mean, he's in the lexicon of one, one named individuals. I but mean, friggin' right. Wyatt Earp had two names. <laughs> That's true. All right.
1: John Butters, we appreciate it. He is the uh, senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. We appreciate your work. We appreciate getting the opportunity to preview it on our Thursday market call. It drops every Friday there, people, um, at the FactSet Investing um, blog. So check that out there. John, we can't wait for you to come back. Let's do a little postmortem on Q1 earnings when we get uh, mostly through it. So thanks a lot. We really appreciate it.
3: Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yep. Sounds good. John Butters is the
0: man. Thank you, JB. Obviously, thank FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow. They are our data provider. I want to thank the great Carter Braxton Worth, who joined us earlier. No emojis, no hard stand, just charts. I mean, that's because that's how he rolls. Obviously, thank you, our audience. I love all the comments I do. Yes, I get a little aggravated. That's the Sicilian in me, not the Italian. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Dan Nathan, who taking a respite from jury duty. Yeah. I am all knotted up, as you can see, which means I'm hightailing it to New York City. We'll see how that goes. Um, but we'll be back tomorrow. And if I'm mis- not mistaken, uh, the great EY from SoFi will be joining us, Dan Nathan.
1: Yeah, she will. All right. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it.